What's up, everyone? Welcome. Welcome, current listeners, new listeners. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show. Welcome to episode 11. Once again, I am a day late on getting this podcast done. I apologize for that. Trying to be better. Been slammed with a lot of work recently, but that's no excuse. I got to get back on track. Got to do this for you guys. Let's jump into the show. Some Winter Olympics recap to, to kick off the show. The Team USA's women's hockey team won gold over Canada in the Olympic final. Team USA and Canada have dominated hockey in the Olympics. And they've appeared in the Olympic final in every Winter Olympics since 1998. Well, in all Winter Olympics except except 2006. So since 1998, they've appeared in five of the six Winter Olympic finals for hockey. That's incredible. In 1998... USA defeated Canada 3 to 1 2002 Canada defeats USA 3 2 2010 Canada defeats USA 2-0 2014 Canada defeats USA 3-2 and then 2018 USA defeats Canada 3-2 So that ends a 3 game losing streak for the Americans over Canada Great for the Americans. And then Lindsey Vaughn, American ski racer, raced in her last Olympic race. Not the storybook ending she wanted, or the fans wanted, but she still goes down as one of the greatest Olympic ski races, ski racers ever. But she said her body just can't take another four years of training and punishment that it, that has to go through to get ready for the Olympics. But she is willing to race for the entire season, for the entire skiing season, if it means she surpasses Ingemar Stenmark in World Cup victories and becomes the unquestioned greatest ski racer ever. She already has the most... World Cup victories over all women. She's got the most as a woman. But Ingmar Stenmark has the most ever, and he's a male. And she's only a few away from surpassing him. I believe it's four or five. So that may only take her a year to do it. Maybe two at the most. She's, she said that she hopes it only takes one year, but she is willing to go until she has surpassed that record. And if she does, she'll be the greatest. She'll be the greatest of all time. A little tennis update. Roger Federer reclaims the world number one ranking with his semifinal berth in the ATP Rotterdam Open. And he went on to win the tournament for the third time in his career, and he beat Grigor Dimitrov. Roger Federer is now the oldest man to ever 
be world number one since Andre Agassi at age 33. Agassi was 33 at the time. Roger Federer is 36. He's the oldest man at age 36 to be world number one. And Agassi was the last, was the next oldest at 33. I mean, Federer's longevity and his consistency is incredible. What he's done over the last two years, it's just been a resurgence in his career. He he looks to be moving faster than he did when he was 28, 29, and he's 36, about to be 37 here in the summer. I'll be interested to see if he participates in, in clay court season and in the French Open because he, he, he didn't do that last year. He, he skipped out on that to focus on the Winter Olympics, or the Winter Olympics, jeesh. To focus on grass court season and Wimbledon. So I would really be interested to see if he does that. I, I feel like it would almost be a waste of time though. Just because he'd have to go through Nadal to win the championship. And Nadal is the greatest clay court player ever. And winning three sets on him on that surface is near impossible. So I wouldn't be surprised if Federer skipped again, if he skipped the French Open and focused on Wimbledon, but I would be really interested interested to see if he does, because he's only got one title there. He's got five U.S. Opens, six Australian Opens, and eight Wimbledons. I'm sure it's on his list to to get another French. He said that it's all about winning Grand Slam titles now. That's all he's chasing is Grand Slam titles. He's got 20. He's got the most ever as a man. Doesn't have the most overall between men and women. He's a few off from that. About two or three. But if he is really focused on that goal, I, I could see him doing the French Open. But man, world number one at age 36. Incredible. All right, so Russell Wilson, a few weeks ago, was he's a part of the Texas Rangers team in baseball. He was, and he was traded to the New York Yankees. And Russell Wilson has announced that he is headed to Yankees training camp after he was traded there. Now, I don't know if it's very meaningful, but it is interesting because we've had a few great Multi-sport professional athletes, Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan did, but he wasn't a great baseball player. He, he wasn't that good at all. He should have just stuck with basketball. But Deion and Bo Jackson were something else. They were great. And something else, me and my friend John, he's one of my good friends, and we were talking about this the other day. and. He said, what if Russell Wilson said to the Seahawks, hey, we're not in a good spot right now, or our defense is old, our offensive line is bad, we're nearly in a rebuild. The, the, the championship window is closing right now. I'm playing baseball for, for a few years until you figure this out, until you fix this. That's an interesting, interesting point there. Now, I don't think that'll happen. 
I honestly don't. I don't see him actually playing baseball. I don't think he's going to play regular season baseball. He'll play training camp. He'll do training camp stuff. I, he does that all the time. But it could be a situation you could keep your eyes on. You never know because the Seahawks are, are kind of out of the playoff picture right now. Their window for a championship is all but closed, in my opinion. So that could be pretty notable. And speaking of off-season moves, we've got some NFL off-season updates. The Dolphins franchise tagged. Their star wide receiver, Jarvis Landry. And that's actually really good for them because that creates a lot of flexibility for them to be able to sign free agents. Franchise tagging him. You don't have him on a, on a max deal. So that creates flexibility. Plus, he's your best player. And it allows you to see after another year if you want to re-sign him or not. And I would definitely re-sign him if I'm the Dolphins. Absolutely. He's one of the most consistent wide receivers in football. He's a league leader in one of the league leaders in receptions every year. So I, he's absolutely got to be got to be kept, I would think. And then the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys franchise tagged defensive end Demarcus Lawrence. And that's that's huge too because he led the league in sacks this year. And he is one of the best defensive ends in football. And tagging him, again, it, it's all about flexibility here. Allows you the ability to go sign free agents. Maybe make some trades. And then I would imagine they would sign him long term. And the reason why they did this too is DeMarcus Lawrence said he wasn't worried about a long term deal right now. He was worried about the team and what they did as a whole. Which leads me to believe he would like to stay a Cowboy. So, But he's definitely going to want to get paid also within the next year. So I feel like I feel like the Cowboys are going to end up signing Lawrence long-term after next season. And then the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, are in the trade news once again. They traded their former All-Pro cornerback Marcus Peters to the Rams for a package of draft picks. Now that deal is yet to be disclosed. We don't know the full terms of the deal. We just know a package of draft picks. Now, on the one hand, people may be thinking, like, this is a horrible deal. He's an all-pro corner. He's, he's one of the top corners in the league. And why would you trade him just for draft picks? It's a logical claim, but Marcus Peters is a cancer in that locker room for the Chiefs. He throws tantrums on the field. He's a distraction. So I totally understand why he was traded. And depending on what those picks are, if it's like a first, some first, thirds, fourths, whatever. I mean, it's not a terrible deal. It gives them some draft picks and it frees up some money. 
and it cleans up your locker room. So I, I definitely like the deal for both sides. Definitely for the Rams because they're getting the top corner in the league. Absolutely one of the best corners in the league. He's young, too. He's only 25. And then the Chiefs, their locker room gets cleaned up. And continuing with the offseason, the NFL draft is coming up here in April. And I want to give my own little mock draft the top 10 picks in the NFL draft, in my opinion, how I think they will go. Number one, for the Browns, I have them taking Sam Darnold. Now, this is all dependent on whether or not Kirk Cousins becomes available or not. We don't know if the Redskins are going to tag him and trade him or if they're going to let him go on the open market. We don't know any of that yet. So assuming the Browns don't get Kirk Cousins, don't sign him, don't trade for him, Cleveland's going to take Sam Darnold to number one. He's the clear-cut number one QB in this draft, hands down. And with him, besides some free agents, year or two, they'll be good. They'll be all right. Number two, the Giants, Josh Rosen, quarterback out of UCLA. This kid fits the bill for bright lights and big cities. He is from... He is from California, a big city in California, and he will thrive on the New York stage, and he would benefit greatly from sitting behind Eli Manning for a year or two and learning that system and just learning from Eli, and in a year or two, the Giants will have a decent franchise quarterback. Number three, the Colts have, they're going to get Saquon Barkley. They are in desperate need of a running game. Frank Gore, God bless his soul, he is amazing. Definitely one of the top 10 running backs all time. But he is just getting too up there in age. They need an infusion of youth to pair up with Andrew Luck, an explosive running back. And Saquon, is, it's been said that he is better than Zeke coming out of college. And Zeke was amazing in college. So... If this kid is as good as people say he is, Colts are getting a good player, and the Colts could be a turnaround team here in the next year. And then back to the Cleveland Browns at number four, they get Minka Fitzpatrick, defensive back from Alabama. They need some corner help. Their defensive front is, is pretty decent, but they need some defensive backs, corners, safeties. Their offense will figure itself out if they, if they draft Arnold. But they need some defensive back help. You could slide Minka Fitzpatrick in a safety. You can throw him in a corner. You can move him all around. So I think this is where the where Cleveland will go with this pick. And then the Broncos, at number five, they are in dire need of a quarterback. I don't see them taking any other position here. They're not going to take defense. Although, although their defense is aging, I don't think they're going to take defense. They may take receiver depending on whether or not they trade or release Emmanuel Sanders. So if they do that, they may take a receiver, but they don't really have a quarterback to throw the receivers the ball. So I think they're going to go with Josh Allen out of Wyoming. He's been compared to 
to Carson Wentz a little bit. He's from Wyoming, which is near North Dakota, so it's got some correlation there with the the hunting kid, and he's outdoorsy. He's a big body. He's got a strong arm. I think this is where the Broncos will go if he is available at number five, and assuming Rosen and Darnold have been taken. Number six, the Jets take Bradley Chubb, defensive end from NC State. They have a lot of young stars on that defense, but Bradley Chubb would just take them over the top defensively and make this team really good. And if they sign Kirk Cousins, that could be a really good team here in the next few years. They do need a quarterback too, so I could see them possibly taking a guy like Baker Mayfield or Allen if Allen's available. But right now, with the way this mock draft is going for me, I have them taking Bradley Chubb. And then the Buccaneers are number seven. They need defensive help. Their offense is fine. Derwin James from Florida State. Safety. He is the best safety by far in this class. He has said that he is going to be a top five safety within his first few years in the league, and I believe him. This kid, I think, is a generational talent. He's going to be something else. Number eight, the Bears. They have their franchise quarterback in Mitch Trubisky. They have a top running back in Jordan Howard. Their defensive front and and players on the outside are are good. They need receivers. They need talent on the outside for Trubisky to throw to. And who better to throw to than Calvin Ridley from Alabama? This kid is outstanding. Best receiver in the draft. Bears take Calvin Ridley. Number nine, the 49ers. Now this is interesting because the 49ers, I think, have a chance to be kind of like how the Eagles were this year. Second-year quarterback. Garoppolo's been in the league for a few years, but this is his second year. This will be his second year as a starter, basically. It's a younger team. They've got great talent on defense, on the defensive front. Carlos Hyde is a top running back. They've got some decent receivers on the outside. All they need is a corner or two, and this team could be like, be a Super Bowl contender, could be a dark horse favorite for the Super Bowl. I'm not kidding. And that's a tough division, too, with the Rams and Seahawks. I think the 49ers have a have a underdog chance of making, making it to the Super Bowl this year, or at least making a deep playoff run. So I have them taking Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. I think he's the best corner in the draft. They get him. Look out for the 49ers. And then number 10, the Raiders get Roquan Smith from Georgia. This, this guy, his lateral quickness, his speed, his power is incredible. And it fills a big need for them at linebacker. They already have Khalil Mack, but they need another linebacker because their defense is not that good at all. It is not good. And Roquan Smith would definitely turn that defense around. Definitely have a huge impact.
All right, we're going to move on to All-Star Weekend Recap. First things first about this, this All-Star Weekend. Fergie's national anthem before the All-Star game was so cringy. That was so incredibly cringy. To say the absolute least. Oh my gosh. I wanted to jump into a wall just listening to that. That was so bad. She said she was trying to create her own little blues rendition of it or something. Or, but that kind of fell flat. Players were laughing. You could see Curry and LeBron and Draymond Green, celebrities, Chris Rock and Jimmy Kimmel, they were laughing. Personally, I'm not a big fan of when singers add that all that extra stuff to the national anthem. They add those extra high and low notes and and whatever. And, and they change the overall mood of the song. I just I just don't like that. Singers should just sing it the same way every time. Like, I, I get you want your own style and stuff. And things of that nature, but... Keep your style in your own music. That's why you write your own music and sing your own songs. But you don't try to incorporate style into... The national anthem. I don't like that. It's a good try. Good try. But it fell flat and I really don't like it when singers try to accentuate over accentuate certain parts and just change the tone of the song but on to some real recap uh, for the skills challenge Spencer Dinwiddie from the Brooklyn Nets he won the skills challenge and he is now the first guard to win under the new format for the skills challenge Big men on one side of the bracket, guards on the other side of the bracket, and then you have a guard versus big man in the finals. First guard to win it under that format. And honestly, I was surprised. I had Al Horford and Jamal Murray in the final. Spencer Dinwiddie kind of played from behind the whole time. He was behind on the on the passing and then caught up at the end and made a three before the before the other guys did. So Great performance by him. Three-point contest. My dark horse favorite. My dark horse pick one, De Devin Booker from Phoenix. I thought the, the favorite was Clay Thompson. And Devin Booker just blew his socks off in the final. That was a great competition. That was one of the better ones I've, I've watched. And then the dunk contest. Donovan Mitchell, the rookie out of Utah, won. The dunk contest. And I thought the dunk contest was actually pretty decent this year. It was last year it fell really flat. Like the one in 2016 with Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, that was real. Like the dunk contest wasn't fair that year. Gordon and Levine had dunks for days. And Aaron Gordon had he probably should have won. He probably should have won. But then Last year, it fell really flat. Aaron Gordon didn't do anything well. It was very unenter unentertaining, to say the least.
But this year, a little bit of buzz was brought back to it. Donovan Mitchell had his own flair. Larry Nance Jr. had some flair. Victor Oladipo had some flair. He uh, wore the Black Panther mask in one of his dunks. Donovan Mitchell brought back some Vince Carter. Larry Nance Jr. copied some of his dad's dunks. It was a pretty classic dunk contest. A lot of throwback. A lot of flair. And then in the All-Star game, Team LeBron versus Team Steph. Team LeBron won 148 to 145. That was a pretty good game. I really like the new format of of the All-Star game now. Like East versus West is kind of kind of boring because the West is stacked. But when you take the best from the West and the East and then you mix them, I, I like it. I think it makes it a lot more competitive. And I think the players actually feel more engaged when they when they play that way. I had Team Steph winning it. They were winning and multiple points during the game by double digits. But LeBron wouldn't go away. LeBron led the charge and they won. And the game was really it was entertaining to watch because of LeBron James. LeBron seemed really engaged the whole time. Or at least for the fourth quarter. Like he was playing defense in the fourth quarter, and that made everyone else play defense. It actually made the game mean something. So I thought it was very entertaining this year. And Adam Silver, commissioner for the league, said that a TV draft is likely to happen next year for the All-Star game. And that would be a great idea. That is such a great idea. It would be very entertaining for the people to watch. Plus, it's fun. It's, it's cool to see who gets picked first, who gets picked last. That would be so awesome to watch. And now Mark Cuban, we're going to shift gears here. I'm going to shift gears to Mark Cuban. He's been in the news recently for two major things. Number one, he was fined $600,000 for saying publicly that the Mavs are tanking. I hate tanking. It's so bad for the league. It literally makes the NBA unwatchable. When you know teams are purposely trying to lose, it just makes it unwatchable. And by the way, if Mark Cuban hadn't come out and said that the Mavs were tanking, I don't think anyone would have noticed because they're horrible. They're horrible. Oh, and that 600K... That that's nothing for Mark Cuban. His I found this stat the other day. His net worth is three point seven billion. So a six hundred thousand dollar fine is the equivalent to fining the average American twenty eight dollars. Just to put that into perspective. That's that's nothing. You gotta make the fine like an actual legitimate percentage of their Salary or net worth or, or what have you. Like finding someone 600K does nothing. Does it really teach them anything? 
And I'm speaking for players, too, not necessarily for Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, too, but I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the players also. Like, these fines are almost meaningless. They, they, they don't count for any percentage of their salary or net worth. And then number two, Mark Cuban is under fire for keeping a writer for the Mavericks, Mavericks employed after they had charges of domestic violence against them. Now, Cuban put sole responsibility on himself for this, as he should. Definitely. There's no excuse for keeping a guy around that had charges of domestic violence. Doesn't matter how severe, doesn't, doesn't matter if they're true. If, they're, if You just can't handle it that way. You've got to really investigate. And Cuban admitted that he didn't investigate it. Said he didn't know much about the details until just recently when all this was coming out. He's got to do a better job of looking into the reports, police reports, all the details. And he's got to make sure he understands the full situation because I've said this a million times, domestic violence and, and all the sexual abuse and stuff, that's not a joke. It's not a joke. We gotta take this seriously. We gotta do real investigating. We gotta listen. We gotta read things. Everything's just piling on for Mark Cuban. I feel like it's gonna resolve itself, but man. Alright. So I wanna move on. I want to talk Kawhi Leonard. So Kawhi Leonard has been medically cleared to by team doctors to play again. But he's decided that he's not going to come back. And I think there's an issue between Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs organization. And here's why. Communication is a real thing in this world. We've got social media. We got people going out to parties like girls typically are more social than guys. Girls love to go out with their girlfriends and things of that nature. But in professional sports, communication is paramount. Kawhi doesn't talk. He doesn't talk to anyone. Like when people say he's the next LeBron... I say no, because LeBron talks. LeBron is the most influential celebrity slash athlete in the world. LeBron puts his name out there. LeBron puts his opinions out there. He's the most vocal guy in the league, plain and simple. Kawhi's not like LeBron. Here's an example. Quarterbacks. They're the most important position in football, right? They constantly have to talk. They're calling plays. They're making reads at the line of scrimmage. They're calling audibles. They're checking matchups. And they're leading the team. 
Marcus Mariota is the quietest quarterback in the NFL. Like, he doesn't talk at all. Mariota and Kawhi are the same person. Both the most important player on their team, and they don't talk. If you're the most important player on your team and you do not communicate, you don't talk, like, that's an issue. That's a problem. Now, I don't know if this means if Kawhi is going to leave after next season or he's going to – or or what's going to happen with that. I don't know. There's not enough about that to, to really deduce any of that. But there is friction between – there is friction between Kawhi and the Spurs. I think it's pretty clear. The reason there's friction between Kawhi and the Spurs organization is because there's a lack of communication. You need communication in this world, and especially in professional sports, especially when you're the most important player on your team. And another thing about this LeBron and Kawhi comparison, you take LeBron off the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're horrible. They will absolutely go down the tank. The Spurs this season, they've basically been without Kawhi for the whole season aside from a few games. They're the third seed in the West. It shows how valuable Kawhi is. Now Kawhi is obviously the most important player on that team, but their system is more important than their stars. It's like the New England Patriots. Tom Brady is the most important player on the field, but the system is more important than the stars. You could remove Tom Brady and still win 10 or 11 games. Does Matt Castle ring a bell? Tom Brady tore his ACL in 08. Patriots won 11 and 5. Same situation in San Antonio. Take Kawhi out, still the third seed. With Kawhi, they're still probably the third seed. It's not going to change all that much. They're not better than Houston with Kawhi, and they're definitely not better than Golden State with Kawhi. But communication is of the utmost importance when it comes to professional sports. All right, a little in case you missed it. I know this is this is a little old, but for me it's it's important. So LeBron and Kevin Durant rode in an Uber with Carrie Champion for an interview. And they got into the topic of politics and criticizing Trump, etc. etc. And Fox News host Laura Ingram said LeBron James should just shut up and dribble. LeBron and Katie should shut up and dribble and leave political comments to those people who didn't leave high school a year early. Referring to LeBron. So I want to play this for you guys. I'm numb to this commentary like, must they run their mouths like that? Unfortunately, a lot of kids and some adults 
take these ignorant comments seriously. Look, there might be a cautionary lesson in LeBron for kids. This is what happens when you attempt to leave high school a year early to join the NBA. And it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin, you're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. All right, so first of all, her rant was full of insults. Secondly, if you did your research there, Laura, you'd know that LeBron graduated high school. Went all four years. He didn't go to college. But he still may be more educated than you think. That man is the most influential, impactful, and he's just the most influential and impactful celebrity slash athlete in the world. Plain and simple. He's done more for this country than you probably have. She has. His work in social issues has been incredible. I mean, what has she done? All she does is sit behind a desk in front of a camera and talk about what needs to be done. LeBron actually goes out and does it. KD, too. I, I don't want to forget about KD. He does stuff, too. I think the problem here, Laura, is that you know LeBron and KD are right about their comments. But you can't accept it. So you insult them on national television and undermine them as just athletes instead of informed citizens of the United States. This country is founded upon public opinion. Public opinion controls this country, how it's run, who gets elected. And you just completely disregarded their right to their political opinion. It's insane. I don't want to get into politics and stuff, but that's just that's just crazy. And then staying on the topic of LeBron, I want to tell you how LeBron James is changing the NBA. Now, he's already done it with just how great he's been, but he's changing it now, currently. He could be changing it. And he could change it based on one hypothetical decision he could make this offseason. As we all know, the Western Conference is stacked. It's loaded. And LeBron could potentially jump conferences and go play for teams like the LA Lakers, the Houston Rockets, San Antonio Spurs. It would totally change the NBA's landscape. And make the East, yet again, a lot weaker. So the NBA has entertained the idea of changing the playoffs format from top eight in each conference to the top 16 teams overall, no conferences. I really, really don't like this, this kind of format. 
the ratings for the playoffs right now are high. They're really high. They're great. Changing the format could make it significantly worse. Right now, first first round matchups are like Cavs, Pacers, Warriors, Blazers, Celtics, Bulls, Spurs, Grizzlies, like examples like that. That's what it's been in the in the past few years. They've been entertaining series. They're competitive. With a new format, though, you could potentially have matchups like Rockets versus Heat, Cavs, Nuggets, Warriors, Sixers, all hypothetical, but they'd be terrible series. They'd be such terrible series. And the whole problem with this is you could have Cavs versus Warriors in round two of the playoffs, depending on how seeding works. Because we know LeBron doesn't care so much about seeding in the regular season. He just cares about the playoffs. So great teams in the West or East could get eliminated early because of unfavorable matchups against the best teams. Teams you normally wouldn't see until the conference championship or the finals. It looks great on paper. It does. It sounds awesome. But there's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it certainly ain't broke right now. The ratings are great. By doing this, you could change how, how far teams go in the playoffs. Great teams. And not to mention, the majority of the 16 teams in the playoffs will be from the Western Conference just because of how how much better the West is. You'll probably have, assuming LeBron, let's say LeBron joins the Lakers and then they make this playoff format switch. You're going to have three, maybe four at the most Eastern Conference teams in the playoffs. The Raptors, Celtics, Wizards, Bucks, at the most, those four teams, and then the rest are all going to be Western Conference teams. Now, another proposed format that I like a lot better than the 16-team format is play-in games to get into the playoffs. So one game, one game playoffs, like a wild card basically, for teams seven through ten in the seeding of each conference. I like this because it allows more teams the opportunity to get into the playoffs. And it can reduce that this whole idea of tanking. Because teams can actually feel like they, they can make the playoffs if they're in that 11-12 range. They might push a little harder to get into 10 and then they can actually make the playoffs. So I think it, that would be great because I think it can reduce tanking for those teams in the 11-13 in the range. I love that a lot more. Alright guys, that's it for me. Share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, whoever. I don't care. Share it with anyone. Trying to build the brand. Follow me on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. 
Thank you for listening, guys. Talk to you next week. It's WFS. Swap Production.